James 5.12. Our message today will focus on this one verse, verse 12. But I'd like for us to go back and read the verses that lead up to this verse 12, beginning in verse 7, because I believe these words give us a better understanding of why we would make these strong statements, such as swearing and taking oaths. Let me read, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And then verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, and let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now here, as we learn from our message last week, we have a condition in which fellow believers in Christ, some of them landowners and others the workers, are involved in this serious disagreement. The landowners having cheated the workers out of their deserved wages. And God condemned those landowners for doing that. But here in the verses we just read, God is encouraging the ones who've been mistreated to have patience in their suffering. And then immediately after He gives that encouragement, God gives this further admonishment for them to be careful not to be drawn into swearing and into the taking of oaths. And I must confess that as I read these Scriptures together, I had difficulty in relating these two matters, that of being patient in suffering and that of the perceived need to swear or to to take oaths. But God understands your and my frame, our personalities, and the way we have this propensity to respond strongly during our difficulties. My first thought was that a person will be more tempted to swear or to take oaths regardless of which side of that issue you might be on, whether it be the landowner or the worker. Whatever side you're on in those arguments and disputes, angry words often will flow across bargaining tables, overstatements, people swearing and taking oaths. And all that does take place. All of that is true. But as I kept studying these words, I came to understand and to accept that this matter of swearing and of taking oaths is far more complex, far more potentially sinful than we might think. So much so that God sees a need here at the end of the verse to give this strong caution of condemnation if you let yourself get caught up in it. So then, 
the question, why is God giving us this very strong counsel in these words? Why is it so important that he would warn us away from doing this sort of thing? And then further, what takes place within the soul of a person when they find it necessary to swear or to take an oath of the kind that God is speaking about here that is worthy of condemnation? Maybe first, as we consider this, go back and begin with some of the precepts of Scripture regarding swearing and taking oaths. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5.33, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Now reading these words by themselves and no other of the scriptures, there would seem simply to be a very strict prohibition against anyone ever swearing or taking an oath. And I have heard that preached strongly. But the problem is, when you read on further in the Scriptures, we find that that's not necessarily so. And that's not what God is talking about here. Because you can see in other places in the Scriptures that many of the godliest of the people in these Scriptures took oaths. David, the Apostle Paul, God Himself swore and took oaths. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So then, from these words, we can assume that swearing and the taking of an oath can have its proper place. But still, such things must be done very guardedly. And they have to be done for the right reason. As I studied further into this matter, I found that over the history of the Jewish people, they had developed some really corrupt habits regarding their taking and keeping of vows and oaths. Habits that were not at all in accordance with God's clearly given word. They knew what God had said in Numbers 30. Let me read this for you. Verse 2, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears on oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. They made vows. It was a common thing in the Jewish tradition. But then in the practical working out of some of their vows and and their oaths, they sometimes found that they might have spoken too quickly. And as their circumstance 
would change, they'd find it necessary to back off from some of the hard stands that they had taken. And because of that then, Jewish teachers and leaders invented a clever, corrupt system by which they could determine whether a vow absolutely had to be kept or if perhaps workarounds could be made in the keeping of their vows and their oaths. Jewish literature indicates that many rabbis taught that it was not necessarily a sin to break a vow if that vow was not made explicitly in the name of God. In the name of God. And then oaths that were made based upon something else. They made oaths in the name of heaven or they had swear an oath on the gold of the temple. Oaths such as those were not ultimately binding. See, they were finding ways to get out of their commitments. In Matthew 5, though, Jesus pointed out the foolishness of that kind of teaching by reminding us that to swear or to take an oath of any kind and based on anything or person or place, that oath was the same as swearing in God's name. To break that oath of any kind or a vow is to break an oath to God. You recall one of the favorite times of taking vows that we have today are in marriages. And we find clever, corrupt ways of getting out of those vows. We're no different than these folks. Now there's a further reality in this, and this is why I said this taking of vows and and oaths, it's complex. And it is fraught with ways of sinfulness. Because there's any number of ways that other sins can lurk behind our rash propensity to swear and to take oaths. If we fail to keep our oaths, our word is tantamount to taking the name of the Lord in vain. If you take an oath, a vow, if you swear, you don't have to mention the name of God. You are, according to these scriptures, still taking that vow in the name of God and you have taken His name in vain. That's a commandment that we're violating. And then further beyond that, if you swear an oath and you don't keep it, it becomes a lie. Sin building on sin. So then simply put, God really cannot be manipulated by us changing words. The simple changing of our words will not give any of us a freedom to be untrustworthy, either in our conversation or in our commitments. Now I'm sure that there are many, many other reasons why God is so unyielding in this matter of swearing and taking and keeping oaths. But I'd like for the rest of this message, I'd like to give two or three of those reasons and dwell on them for a few moments. And one of them is this trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. Are you trustworthy with the things that you say? Are you trustworthy with the statements that you make? Now, a reminder, in our redemption, you and I actually become sons of God. I have emphasized that time and time again from this pulpit. When you and I receive Christ as our Savior, we become sons of God, adopted into His family and true sons. And as sons, you and I have an altogether 
higher calling and responsibility than other forms of relationships. Like that, those mentioned in Scripture being servants or hired hands. As a true son of God, as a true daughter of God, you and I must understand and accept that we are held to the highest standard of accountability. The things that we say and that we do represent the character and the trustworthiness of God Himself. How many times have you heard someone say a statement such as, well, if that person's a Christian, I have no interest in being one. This has been taking place. They have viewed this. They have witnessed this. The things that you and I say do represent the character and the trustworthiness of God. We have His name that's being carried on the things that we say and do. And I want to remind us that God is not like you and me who might make a rash promise today but then find out later that our circumstances have changed and we want to find some way out of it, some way to break our promise. God is God and He sees the future in the ever-present now. And because of that, Nothing catches him by surprise that might take place later because there is no later in the time of God. It all takes place at one time. And so that is why his yes is yes and his no is no. And you can depend on it to always be the same. Everything in this book is unchangeable, immutable. And so therefore, must what we do and say also be. There's another consideration that I gave to this matter of swearing and taking oaths. It is often done when our integrity is brought into question. Oftentimes you can hear conversations where one person is blurting out to another, trying to convince them of some point that they're making. They say, I swear what I'm saying is true. I swear it. I have heard a lot of those conversations especially from teenagers. When I was younger, the expression was common, I swear on a stack of Bibles. See, they're not swearing to God. You swear on a stack of Bibles. As if that makes a difference. And it doesn't. I've heard it said in other cultures, I swear on my mother's head. But of course, the the most common one is, I swear to God. What I'm saying is true. You have heard that many times. And you probably heard it coming out of your own mouth. Unfortunately, I can remember those times. Thankfully, I don't say it anymore. Now some of those sayings, if you'll notice, very similar to what the Jews used to say. They swear in the name of heaven. They swear on the gold of the temple. They wanted to add something of weightier value so that whoever they were swearing to would might believe them. But listen, the reasoning and the motive is all wrong in all of that. If we find it necessary to take an oath such as those that we're talking about here, then we probably have already established a reputation for not always telling the truth or keeping our promises, not paying our debts, any number of the breaking of oaths and promises. 
if the people we're talking to or making a deal with know us and they know from our past history that our word is trustworthy, then there will be very few reasons for us to ever have to display some vehement kind of behavior swearing to God just in order to get someone to believe us. Our word is our bond. And we can let our yes be yes and our no be no. I've said to you that in my earlier life I was a banker. There were certain people who could call me on the phone and say I need to borrow X thousands of dollars. Can you put it in my account? I would do that with certain of them. Why? Because that promissory note that they signed, that loan document, is only good if their word is not good. I knew their word to be good. And I knew that they would come later and sign that document because that's required by law. But they were trustworthy. Their yea was yea and their nay was nay. And I knew it. What about yours? One last consideration. And I believe that this is probably most to the point in what God is saying here. In our opening words, I asked the question, what is taking place within the soul of a person as they swear or they take an oath that would merit God counting their behavior as being worthy of condemnation? Why would God give such a stern warning that they might be condemned? I believe it has to do with ego. Ego. Our ego. As you know, there's an ego within each of us. And our ego is no small contender within us. Our ego is a powerful force that must be reckoned with at every turn. It operates with a passion. And it empowers these desires and these behaviors. And it drives men and women to say and to do things that they would not do otherwise. Another name for ego is self. Scripture uses self as an example. So then, where does self fit into this study and into this understanding of God's disdain for people's propensity to swear and to take oaths? Self and its ego seems always, listen, self and its ego seems always to need to be affirmed in all that it is and all that it does. That's a favorite buzzword today in today's society, especially with the millennials. We need to be affirmed and we are told that we need to affirm others. And that's true. Except when it should not be done. Self, our ego, needs to be affirmed. We need to be told how right we are about everything. We think of it, therefore it must be true. But it's not. Our ego needs to be affirmed and whenever the possibility arises for doubt uh, or concern about the veracity, the, the truth, the accuracy, the reliability of a matter that self is proclaiming, it seems that self's first response is to, is to declare the point with greater and greater vigor. Saying these words that we're talking about. 
I swear it to be true. I swear to God that what I'm saying is true. That's ego speaking. That's ego speaking. Now, our ego, self, can have many reasons for protecting itself. Sometimes it's fear. As with Peter, when after Jesus was arrested and Peter was accused of being one of the twelve, the Scriptures tell us in Matthew 26, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he, Peter, began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Fear can cause us to take oaths like that. But in the main, listen, in the main, our reason for swearing and taking oaths are often a lot more mundane in their cause. Unfortunately, we have developed bad habits. Self is most always filled with pride and wants so badly to be believed and to be affirmed. And so we will spout out those words without even thinking that we're probably taking the name of God in vain and that He is in serious disagreement with what we're saying. Recall back in chapter 4 when we were studying about pride. There in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in verse 16 of chapter 4, it says, As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Now you recall in our study of chapter 4, this word translated as boasting gives the exact reason why God opposes it so strongly. It's so abhorrent to God. Because the real meaning of boasting is that I might gain glory. That I personally might gain glory. Do you see the connection now between us swearing and being so strong to get someone to believe us, to accept us as being the authority? What we're trying to do, self is trying to elevate itself to being an authority on a matter. And that's a subtle form of boasting. I know what I'm saying. Honor me. When we do that, we're doing the one thing, the one thing that we must never do, and that is rob God of His glory and claim it for ourselves. That behavior is worthy of condemnation. And that is why God gave us that warning there. I encourage you and me to chew one level deeper into every verse that you read in these Scriptures. There is so much more meat within each of the things that God is saying. And this is one of those. So the next time that you find yourself wanting so badly to get someone to affirm you by believing what you're saying or trusting what you're doing, may I encourage you, back off and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Build your character back if you have lost 
some of it along the way. Let me close with some encouraging words. These are strong words. Let me close with some encouraging words. This is from Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Yes, do it with zeal. But as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Seek to please the Lord rather than yourself or someone else. Let's pray.